When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to episode 22 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast with me, Sean Barker. And this week, we've got a hull of a show for you. So we're just going to get cracking with Do You Remember? Whoa, 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 Sean. What about me? Uh, Yeah, sorry, Sam. Go on, introduce yourself. But quick, quick, we've got to get through this. Okay, my name's Sam Davis. Uh, That's me done, I suppose. So, yeah, what's this about it being a hull of a show? Well, look, to coincide with our outstanding performance on Saturday, we've got a bumper show this week with interviews, giveaways, features and lots more besides. So we need to get a move on. Blimey, OK, no chit chat. Straight on with the action. Reminds me of me and my teens. OK, so here's what's coming up on this week's Back of the Net. Once again, we have an in-depth match report from the weekend as the Cherries mauled the Tigers 6-1 at Dean Court. We'll hear your fan thoughts and the views from TV pundits. Then myself and Sean will be giving our opinion of the game before I then delve into the Saturday evening online opinions of AFC Bournemouth as fans across the country gathered to watch the showcase match versus Hull. Who'd have thought it? Bournemouth Hull, I know. And then I'll be bringing you up to date with the latest from Dean Court in the club news. Then after that, well, we have got a bit of an exclusive for you. We have the big back-of-the-net interview as Michael Dunn spoke to the Cherries goal-scoring legend Ted McDougall on Saturday where he goes over his fond memories of playing for Bournemouth and talks about his new book which has recently come out. And Sean, I gather we're going to be giving two of these books away on the show, aren't we? Yes, we are. So stay tuned. And all you have to do is fill in a form. So no silly questions or you've got to share this or share that with your grandma and get your mum to like this. Just pop your name down and you are in to win. (laughs) And during the interview, Sean, I gather you're going to be limbering your thumbs and fingers up. Is that right? That is right, Sam. So this is the funnest feature I've ever done as I get to review the brand new computer game computer game I sound so old the brand new game FIFA 17 
Wow. And then we're going to have time to squeeze in the Spurs preview, right? Hopefully, if you stop talking now. But, Sam, we are going to be saving some time at the end of the show this week. So, uh, you know, we've got Do You Remember? Well, this week, Rob, the quizmaster, he's going to ask Do You Remember? And then he's actually going to answer Do You Remember? All inside this first part of the back of the net in the feature that's called... Uh, uh, nah, it's gone. is going to have an international flair. So I'm going to put together a Bournemouth French five-a-side team. We're not going to use Distan, Kermigan, Lee Smousset. That's too easy. That's for the Johnny-come-latelys. We're going to go with a do-you-remember French five-a-side team. So in goal, this player joined us in 2000 from the Mets B team. He played second fiddle to Gareth Stewart for most of his two years at the club. Memorably, he did keep a clean sheet in a nil-nil draw away at Tranmere in 2002. I say memorably because we tended to lose there quite a lot of the time. Interestingly, he also once hit the crossbar playing up front against Hame United in pre-season. Yeah, I was there, I saw it. At the back, well, first of all, born in 1988, this central defender joined us in January 2011 and he only made 10 appearances, scoring one goal against Bristol Rovers before joining Orient in June 2012. He was a popular player despite his limited number of games, pretty cultured, good on the ball, but ultimately was one that we left behind as we climbed the leagues. Playing alongside him at the back, arguably one of our most popular players. At the time this lad came in from Leicester City, he'd had spells at Strasbourg and Air United. He was always a threat from set pieces, and particularly scored a memorable cup goal for us. He only made 31 appearances across two seasons, but won't be forgotten for a long, long time. Our attacking flair in our French five-a-side team comes from a player that had a fantastic junior CV, including spells at Monaco and Arsenal. He joined us as a 20-year-old and showed typical Gallic flair, good pace and dribbling, but his crossing let him down sometimes and he was always a bit of a luxury player, so never really a regular. But certainly those who saw him play will have fond memories of a player who never really never really met his full potential with us or anyone else. Finally, our team is made up of a prolific scorer in France and also with Walsall. He joined us in a move seen as a real coup in 1998, but just seven games later, with no goals to his name, he made a pretty memorable if a sad exit in front of the south stand, never to be seen again. So, that is the French five-a-side AFC Bournemouth Do You Remember team.
So, how did you go? How many of our French players did you remember? Well, in goal, we had Michael Manetrier. At the back, Mathieu Baudry and Frank Rolling. And our attacking players were Willie Huck and Roger Bowley. Okay, so thank you, Rob. And listeners, I just better explain why it was a little bit different. Rob was eager for us to do a show last week during the international break. But obviously, you know, we were off sunning it up somewhere and, you know, just relaxing in international break. So that's why he did an international flavour. But yeah, a lot of fun. That's uh, it's an interesting five-a-side team. Uh, Frank Rolling, I still feel sorry for him. So for... Uh, so for those that maybe you know don't know the history back there, it was the semi-final of the Auto Windscreen Shield. It was our chance to get to Wembley. It was the second leg at the old Dean Court versus Walsall. It was level, wasn't it? Which I think it meant, were they going through on away goals or something? And it, we needed a goal. Frank Rolling, our centre-back, I could still picture the goal, smashed in front of the south stand. Basically, Frank took us to Wembley and then... He was on the bench in the final, and he didn't get on the pitch. Oh man, Poor I man. I I I felt so sorry for him. He was like the um, I believe during that auto windscreen shield tournament, he was like the Dan Gosling <laughs> of the time. He scored in nearly every round, uh, and then Mel Machen didn't play him in the final. I felt absolutely gutted for him. Yeah. Blooming picking Eddie Howe instead, eh? <laughs> God, who was going to survive longer at the club? I tell you what, I'm going to make it my mission, my mission to get a little soundbite from Frank Rolling in the next seven days. Don't know where he is. Don't know what part of the world he's in. Yes. I'm going to come back in within seven days with a soundbite for the show. That's my personal challenge, Sean. And, and then in true Frank Rolling fashion, we won't play it. sorry Frank no we will anyway thank you for that Rob and uh, look in a rather tenuous link I'm sure you will all want to remember see what I did there what happened on Saturday so shortly we'll be hearing the fan thoughts and the views of footballing royalty but first here's this week's Michael's Match Report Michael's Michael's Match Report Resurgent cherries didn't quite manage to. Yeah, sorry, Michael. Um, I've just been thinking. Do you mind interviewing Ted McDougall this week, and I'll do your match report. Is that okay? Oh, nice one. Cheers, mate. Okay, let's get started. So on Saturday, fresh from the international break, our ever-improving Cherries faced Hull City at Dean Court, with the home side looking to make it three home wins out of three, facing a club that had been recently rejuvenated with the confirmation of Mike Phelan's permanent appointment. 
Bournemouth started very positively at the Vitality Stadium, with the home side pressing from the off, with Jordan Ibe especially being effective down the left-hand side. Early on, after an attack broke down, the ball was cleared as far as Andrew Sermon, who recycled the ball to Simon Francis, who played in the ever-willing runner Adam Smith, who was felled near the edge of the penalty area. The resulting kick was then taken by free-kick woodwork specialist junior Stanislas, who once again curved a shot onto the post, only for it to rebound to Charlie Daniels on the penalty spot, who made a technically difficult strike look very easy, blasting home into the centre of the net. At this stage, the Tigers looked far from great, as Bournemouth continued to dominate possession, with Jordan Ibe once again getting a lot of joy down the left, firstly cutting back to Callum Wilson, who side-footed onto the bar, and then cutting onto his right foot, where a rasping drive whistled over the crossbar from long range. Sandwiched in between these efforts was a deflected junior Stanislas strike, as well as a Callum Wilson shot from a tight angle, both of which didn't cause major issues for the away side, but... The growing momentum by the rampant Reds meant surely a second goal was moments away. Well, it was, but before our second goal arrived, something came quite out of the blue. Or should I say purple or pink? I don't know what the colour shirt was, but it was an uncharacteristic error from Steve Cook that gifted the ball to Snodgrass, who via Livermore found Ryan Mason, who shot from distance, and an outstretched Cook leg deflected the ball into the net past a helpless Arter Boric. With many of the fans inside the stadium thinking that a score draw at half-time would have been a travesty of justice, towards the end of the half, up stepped junior Stanislas, with a free kick from distance on the right-hand side. With a lot of dip and swerve, the ball whipped into the penalty area, onto the head of a grateful Steve Cook, who proceeded to find some space to nod home, putting the Cherries 2-1 up, much to the delight of all and sundry. But the first half goals weren't quite finished there, as just before half-time, Charlie Daniels and Jordan Ibe linked up once again, and as they bared down on the hull goal, the ball broke to Callum Wilson, who was brought down to earth with a bang by Snodgrass, with the referee Lee Mason having no doubt about awarding the spot kick. Junior Stanislas joyfully converted, casually instepping the ball into the roof of the net to make it 3-1. Now in the second half, Bournemouth began how they entered the first, attacking with ease, with a plethora of chances on the whole goal, with a Steve Cook header early nearly making it four. But soon, it was four, as Josh King once again came off the bench to have an immediate impact, as a combination with Adam Smith down the right led to our marauding right-back reaching the byline and cutting the ball across goal to the feet of junior Stanislas, who calmly slotted home to net his second of the game, sending the home fans into delirium. Every time Bournemouth got the ball, they looked threatening, and by the time we scored our fifth, it felt like the goals were going to come at metronomic regularity. Hull looked despondent and uninterested. So it was Callum Wilson that grabbed the fifth, after a short corner was played as far as Josh King, who crossed to the fast stick to see the striker nod home past Marshall in the city net. The goal that Wilson scored was very much deserved, as moments before he was on the end of a swashbuckling Jack Wilshire run, where the Arsenal loney laid the ball on for Wilson, who cut inside only to fire the ball down the throat of the Tigers' number one. Well, number 23 to be precise. 
So with Jack lasting 75 minutes this time, it was Dan Gosling that came on to replace him, and then six minutes later, Callum Wilson made way for Benica Fobe. So with five minutes to go, surely there wasn't time for another goal. Wrong, there was, and the chasm between the two sides was never more evident than with this goal, as the ball started with Adam Smith on the right-hand side, who ran unopposed in his own half, before laying the ball over to Charlie Daniels on the left, who then ran unopposed in the whole half. He sidestepped his markers before playing in Dan Gosling, who hit the ball first time with his left foot into the side netting, past the diving keeper, making it a magnificent six for the Cherries. A blinding performance by the lads, which Eddie Howe, questionably after the game, said was not one of his best-sized performance since being in the Premier League. This coming from a man who said Arter and King wouldn't be fit for the game. Okay, Eddie, whatever. Ah, oh, Sammy D, great match report there, and what a game to do your first official report for, eh? Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I struck the motherload with this one. What a game it was. And in a moment, you'll be hearing the thoughts of fans and the media, but as is customary with a fan thought feature, that's not easy to say, we like to play a little song in the background which sums up the game. Now, I was thinking we could have a bit of hot chocolate with you sexy thing oh actually we're doing the puns later aren't we um, so yeah thank you for all the suggestions that came in over twitter including red and black exile who said perfect day by lou reed or the happy days theme tune liking that the bass man kev was preemptive so even before the results he said if we win muse feelin good feelin i see what you've done there and if we lose we can't stop this feeling from ario speedwagon See what you've done there. Ross in Florida went with a US sort of TV movie theme, Six on the City. Like it. We had Matt Callahan with That's Neat, That's Neat, That's Neat, That's Neat, We Love Your Tiger Defeat. Love it. Also works as a pun there, Matt. Great call. But this week, we're going to cut to the chase and congratulations go to... Mr. Steve Wright, who gave us two. First, Irene Cara with What a Feeling, but the one we're playing out today is from Haircut 100. This track comes from way back in 1982, and it sums up the day very well. A fantastic day. afternoon for a whole but top manager I think he leads by example the lads are fit as a fiddle I was speaking to a few of the boys last season when we were there doing the Villa game first game of the season last season and one of the West Ham players who joined Bournemouth he says he never ever criticises the players on a match day as in give him a hard time training he's hard as nails always on him and I think what he sees is a, a snapshot of who's going to play well he picks them players and they go and perform Six. Six. Really? Six? Yeah, I can't believe it either. Form six, whole city one. Absolutely crazy times. Um, yeah, I didn't really predict six one, but in my, I thought, yeah, we're gonna, we were going to win. That's what all I knew. They got a 
a sick. I just, it's just <laughs> both fullbacks are involved in this goal. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Smith picks it up first from a right back position, dribbles it into midfield, past a few players, pass it to Charlie Daniels on the le- at left back. He goes by about three or four players easily, slides it into. Uh, I think he's initially trying to get it into a phobie, but it rolls to the edge of the box to. Um, it's Gosling who's come on and he's on the edge of the box, curls it with his left foot into the far corner. 6-1. I mean, it, it, they've absolutely battered Hull. Absolutely battered them. Warm of 6, hole 1. That was absolutely brilliant. Um, we haven't really had a result like that in the Premier League before. Uh, we used to do it to teams in the Championship all the time. We used to punish them for being as bad as Hull are. So it was really, really good to see. Um, out of the five goal scorers, each one of them was English. So I was wondering if maybe that's some of the reason behind um, AFC Bournemouth's success. Is it easier to get you know, your, your training methods across and your ideas across? Um, is, is that part of the reason? So cheers to everyone who submitted their fan thoughts, including Cherry's fans, Matt and Alex, and the footballing gods of Trevor Sinclair and Jermaine Genus. <laughs> now, obviously, Sean, we've been doing this podcast when we've had a number of goals being scored against us. But as you correctly predicted on the last show, it was a goal fest. And we ran out 6-1 winners. What a game, eh? <laughs> I know, I'm glad. Last year's goal fest was what the nil-nil at Watford. So as Robert Murphy, we were discussing on Twitter, I get to keep that uh, goal fest prediction and use it again later in the season. But yeah, it was an amazing uh, performance. Interesting, I was reading back Eddie Howe's comments in the paper before the game where he's talking about, you know, they might be in a poor run of form, but it won't be an easy game. It's like, oh, you didn't do your didn't do your research, Eddie, because it was pretty easy in the end. It was, it was, and you know, from the off, they seemed to just exude this confidence, didn't they, Sean? Yeah, we did. It was um, what was great was that the international break worried me a little bit because we felt like there was good momentum building in our performances. Aside from our results, I think our performances have been getting stronger. And sometimes when you have that break, it's just like, ah, oh, you just want to keep playing. So for me to see us start so well, so confidently and we score early, we then hit the bar and we're just in total control of the game. Um, that really, really pleased me. And it was like, OK, great. After five minutes, it was, oh, yeah, it's like we hadn't even had the break and our good form is continuing. Yeah. Now, of course, I went over the goals in the match report. I do just want to emphasise how Charlie Daniels made that look so easy where it was actually a very, very difficult strike. But um, then Hull um, did score. But in that kind of five minutes leading up to their equaliser, you thought that uh, sort of Steve Cook had a bit of a funny five minutes and you're, <laughs> you, you, you think there could have been a penalty? Yeah, like aside from we'll talk about the goal in a second. But prior to that, I think Hull had the corner that came in and Cook was all over the striker. Uh, both arms wrapped around him, which, as we know, this year is is a penalty, you know? So I was very surprised we got away with that. And actually, on the TV uh, I was watching, they were still replaying the incident of Cook manhandling the striker when it suddenly cut back to, you know, them having the ball after. It was, a, it was an odd pass from Cook. I don't know what he was 
thinking whether he thought Daniels was coming inside or not. I don't really know, but it was then <laughs> gives the ball away. He tries to get back. He sticks his foot out, deflects it in. And I could see he was slamming his hands on the pitch, wasn't he? Because he was just so angry with himself. Mm. But yeah, it was kind of it was building up, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, but when they did score, were you worried? Do you know, it was funny. I wasn't. Um, in in past games where, you know, we've been dominating and maybe we've only scored one goal and then the other team have got a goal back to equalise, you'd think, oh, that's it now. We're kind of going to lost lost that momentum. But we just didn't, did we? We just kept on going. I, I, Hull were very poor. I mean, there's no, you know, there's no getting around that. But still, I think the fact that they conceded didn't really rattle us. And then what was great was that we did take our chances before half time, so that we went in with a good lead. Yeah. Now, one thing I do want to just say: um, the second goal, obviously, Cook atoned for his error, but it was really odd actually because we won the free kick, and it was quite, it was quite deep. But we never do that. We never play the ball into the box. I mean, as it happened, you know, Stanislas's delivery was excellent, but we never do that. Do you think Eddie Howe's maybe changed something? Yeah, it was it was interesting you said that. So I had a look at the stats to see that maybe Hull are prone to conceding in the air and maybe that's why we're putting the ball in the box. And I mean, Hull have now conceded 20 goals this season. That's including the six that we pumped past them. But um, the two headed goals that we scored were actually the first goals they conceded from ahead all season. So prior to that, for the Statos, there'd been 12, uh, including the, the, the game against us, there's been 12 right-footed finishes, six left-footed, and two headers, which are uh, Cooks and Wilson. So, yeah, it's not like um, that was necessarily a, a weakness that they had shown. Um, other than they were a side on the ropes, they have been losing, and maybe the onus was just to get the ball in the box a bit more because we felt they were a bit shaky. Mm, yeah, it could well be. Well, of course, uh, Stanislas made it 3-1 from the spot. And then in the second half, I mean, you were listening um, on the TV, Sean, while well, you were watching, of course. And uh, what's this about um, a back-of-the-net interviewee getting a mention? Oh, an absolute back-of-the-net legend got mentioned. So um, they were talking about a stat how in the, I think we've played Hull 12 times or whatever it was, and it's been a long time since we last beat them. When we last beat Hull City, the goal scorers that day, Matty Holland and Steve Jones. Jonesy, of course. Oh. It was just, oh, it was lovely. I was a little cheer went up here down in New Zealand when the commentator mentioned the name Steve Jones. That's worth a retweet, Jonah, surely. We know you listen. Um, so in terms of the substitutions now, Jordan Ibe uh, went off for Josh King. Now, in interestingly, uh, we ran a poll uh, during the last uh, 48 hours. We'll be revealing later on um, the results of that poll about who should start because they've both got their advantages. But Josh King came on and instantly hooked up with Adam Smith really well, didn't I? A great goal by Stanislas to get a second. And uh, from that moment forward, I think they actually said this on the commentary because I've listened back to the commentary as well. They said every time Bournemouth go forward, it looks like they're going to score. Honestly, if that game had gone on for another 40 minutes, we would have hit 20 it was just, you know, it really was. I think the only person who probably was disappointed 
was probably Benica Fobe, who I reckon would have loved to have got on the pitch a bit sooner or maybe even had probably only another two or three minutes on the pitch. So that was the only thing I was thinking was, oh, you know, it's it was the game for a Fobe to get his goals going again. But as it, it was literally, it was just he ran out of time. It wasn't through lack of chances because if we'd have had another couple of minutes we would have scored another we would have scored another it was just it, it just got a bit ridiculous didn't it and you you, you know the referee was certainly not going to add on any extra minutes the boxer was definitely out and we just needed to call this one yeah so of course Wilson got his um his first goal our fifth and then the, 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 that bizarre goal uh, the last one was incredible and Jermaine Jenner said it there on on the match thoughts where it was literally Smith ran half the pitch and then Daniels and then you know Gosling then scored it it was a uh, it was yeah Hull just capitulated but one point I just want to uh, make um Stanislas he has improved somewhat hasn't he ah oh. I, I always think last year, as I said before, I think he played a huge part of improving us when we really needed that form to take us through that period where we were getting injuries and against when we played the, the games against obviously Everton and then Chelsea and Man United. So for me, that kind of showed that this boy can play. But this year, yeah, with all the, you know, we've had new signings and we've got players like Gradle coming back to fitness and... Ibe and King and you were thinking oh you know where's he going to fit in this Mark Pugh let's not forget Pewy but as Eddie said he's 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 now delivering the end product so he's not only giving assists he's also scoring as well and and he works hard defensively as well so we were all smiles after the game and we certainly were on Twitter as well when we were reading your puns when they came in. Some of these were absolutely classics. Um, Gary Wright, six appeal as the cherries go on a hull of a rampage. Very good, Gary. Um, also, Matt Hills, cherries feeling good as Tigers Stanislammed in junior masterclass. Very good. Paul Kenwood. Stanislas braced himself. Oh, he scored two, you see. As Hull was sit, uh, hit for six. Um, Robert Murphy, Cook can handle the heat, but toothless Tigers can't stand it. Oh, that's Sean, good. Are anything, uh, I like are anything that. sticking out for you? That one, that um, one for me. Yeah, now this one here, uh, Tony Maycock, he's getting seasonal very early. Cook King Stanislas stood out in six goal feast at Dean Court. Not quite seasonal, he says, but it sounds good. Yeah, not sure about that. Uh, Robbie Sargent, Mike left Phelan blue. Has ripened cherries more tigers with the performance of six appeal. We're getting a lot of uh, Phelans. Um, one person wasn't enjoying the puns. That was Gary Chapman, who what? said on Twitter, am I the only one who dies a little inside every time the word puns <laughs> is mentioned? <laughs> Hashtag lots of effort for little humour. Cheers, Gary. Well, you may not like my pun then that I came up with at full time. This was my uh, kind of Salvatore-esque pun. Flipping hull. Tigers not felan sexual is how cooks up an outstanding show. Yeah. That's me clapping. That's me clapping. Uh, to be fair, I did get Robert Murphy on Twitter saying, that's an absolute cracker. Give yourself a T-shirt. I might just do that, Robert. <laughs> Rubbish. Well, as Sam said, we could probably go on and on about our sexual performance. Sorry, Gary. On Saturday. But isn't it nice that Bournemouth actually have managed to get a result that mirrors our performance on the pitch? And hey, who thought it was going to be shown first on Match of the Day? I know, and 
It was interesting, as I was reading the Twitter timeline from about 9pm onwards, when Gary Lineker read out the running order for Match of the Day. And in this week's online review, I'm going to be talking about what the nation was thinking about Bournemouth Hull being the showcase game. Now, obviously, the Bournemouth fans were delighted. Mel said, wow, never thought I'd see the day when we went first. Great that all six goal scorers were English. Gail Hope said, first, now we've hit the big time. No pimping our manager, though. Tracy Reed on Twitter said, thank you. Nice to see you put AFCB as your number one match. Shane Ambridge said, yes, we're first for once. Up the cherries. And Dave Burrow said, Hull Bournemouth are always first, favouring the bigger sides. Hmm... But other football fans were not quite as excited. Hesky Joe on Twitter said, Bournemouth versus Hull, first on match of the day. It just shouldn't be a thing. Oh, Joe, don't be such a spoil sport. Anyhow, during the first 10 minutes, the little old town of Bournemouth was trending on Twitter and there were some lovely tweets to read from fans across the UK. George Goldhawk said, I remember watching Bournemouth's first game in the Premier League when they lost 1-0 to Villa. What a difference. And Ashley Elliott on Twitter said, What lovely football by Bournemouth. The ball on the ground most of the time. Good to see English talent play well. Delightful football. Will Atherton. Imagine playing for Hull, losing 6-1 to Bournemouth, and then having a four and a half hour drive home to the most grim city in the country. Redfern on Twitter said, Bournemouth were Barcelona in disguise. Santoki said, Bournemouth featuring Jack Wilshire demolishing a team 6-1 in the Prem, 2016. I've now seen it all. And Zen Pompey said, if you told the 15-year-old me that Bournemouth versus Hull would be the first game on match of the day, I'd have died laughing. And then Chris Smith said, good to see Stanislas scoring for Bournemouth, not against Everton. I'd begun to doubt whether that actually happened. But speaking of Stanislas, that's Stanislas. What is going on with pundits not saying his name correctly? It's becoming a joke now. Now, whilst Alan Shearer nearly slipped up on his name at the beginning of his punditry... Ahara Stanislas, Stanislas and Ibe. Sorry, Alan, what was that? Ahara Stanislas, Stanislas and Ibe. <laughs> now, this was a genuine error, but there are others, including Chris Kamara, who last season said his name wrong. And then later on in the season, he actually acknowledged on Cherry's player that he'd said it wrong. When Stanislav got the equaliser, I keep calling him Stanislav, when it's, a, it's an S on the end, uh, Stanislav got the equaliser against Everton. But then this season, he proceeded to say it wrong again. Stanislav's goal, he owes him a little bit of credit for that. It's Stanislav, Chrissy, come on. But it's not just him, here's John Motson. Oh, it's gone in. It's Stanislav, who has equalised for Bournemouth. Oh, it's there. It's Stanislaus again! I don't believe this, it's 3-3! Stanislaus? Martin Keown? Great finish for Stanislaus, but this is a great ball. Look at this, he whips that with pace. Ugh, and ladies and gentlemen, Paul Merson. My man in a match, Junior Stanislaus. Two goals, three assists. What else more can you want? What else more can you want? Uh, how about pronounce it correctly, you imbecile? <sighs> I need to calm down. Surely... Someone with a Bournemouth connection who watches Bournemouth a lot. Surely someone like Jamie Redknapp won't say it wrong, will he? What he's done is introduced those two players, Stanislaus and King, and all of a sudden like a different side. Oh my word. 
But it's not just over here. Even in America, there's problems. How do you pronounce it? Stanislaw. You don't pronounce the S? No. Why? Uh, that's just how I've always heard it pronounced. I say uh, Stanislaus, but uh, I think it's Stanislaw. You do? That's a silent, probably. No. But you still say Stanislaus anyway? Yes. Oh, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. Stanislaus. Three syllables, Stanislas. Why does it have to be so difficult to pronounce words correctly? It's simple English. Oh, pronunciation. Pronunciation? Anyway, I'm going to calm myself down now and run myself a nice Radox bath and have a nice glass of Peanut Gregario. Bliss. Cherries battered and bruised following worldwide distribution. The international break proved costly for the wider Cherry squad, with three players reporting back to Dean Court as injured and unavailable for selection ahead of the game last weekend versus Hull City. Lewis Cook is the worst case as he suffered what Eddie Howe has described as a nasty-looking twist to his ankle while appearing for the England under-20s. Cook is seeing a specialist but could be looking at an extended spell in the stands which will not help his case to push for a starting position within the first team. Brad Smith took a knock while representing Australia, mate, as he took a hit to the top of his foot with Howe saying he's unsure how long he will be out. Maxi Gradle felt a hamstring strain for the Ivory Coast, but it is thought this won't cause him to be away for long. Closer to home, Harry Arter was spotted leaving Dinkor on crutches after being on the wrong end of a snodgrass smash in the first half against Hull. Time flies as Eddie is forced to look back. Eddie Howe celebrated four years this past week since he went to Burnley, but then he came back. Howe told the Daily Echo, It doesn't seem like four years. It's amazing how quickly time goes in football, and in life really. When I look back, not just the four years, but my managerial career in total, it's crazy how quickly it's gone. Asked for his standout moments, he picked promotion from League One, winning the championship and the first two seasons in the Premier League, which pretty much explains his last four years. Forget Brexit, because Brits in is the way to go. As the world's media responded to the scintillating performance against Hull and the achievement of scoring six goals in a Premier League tie, there was another altogether more important story being told. That of the number of British players selected by the Cherries. In a time when England's poor performances are regularly blamed on the lack of English players in the top tier, it was refreshing to see that 10 of the 11 players selected for Bournemouth this weekend were in fact British, and all six of the goals scored were by English players. Of course, don't hold your breath to see these top-performing home-based players appearing for their national side anytime soon. I mean, why would you need to inject new talent into an already well-performing machine? <clears throat> um, yeah.
AFC B Club News. So thank you very much, Mr. Sean Barker, for the club news there. Informative as ever. And, uh, well, some puns as ever. Let's just go over them quickly. Gary Chapman's not going to be loving this bit, so you may want to just <laughs> mute it slightly now, Gary. Uh, cherries battered and bruised following worldwide distribution. Oh. Is that... Huh? Yeah, great. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I thought I'd do a really funny one to kick off. But, uh... Yeah, that was, that was great. Um, time flies as Eddie is forced to look back that's really funny too <laughs> yeah gary's <laughs> laughing i can hear him and forget brexit because brits in is the way to go and uh yeah i mean that's that's not only funny but it's certainly apt and a lot of people online have actually been mentioning that haven't they on twitter that we had nine englishmen although harry arter come on it's 10 isn't it um a lot of people have been talking about that yeah that one's for afcb pete i think there there on the <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, actually just about the news, I'm really gutted about Lewis Cook because um, I oh. really liked what I saw when we played Valencia and um, and yeah, I, and watching him when he was playing for Leeds and he's on the back of my <laughs> shirt. So at the moment, it's a bit of a dodgy investment. It's almost like last year I'd bought the home shirt and I'm sat in the stands watching the Sunderland game because I was over and... I was getting the shirt printed the next day and it was either Matt Ritchie or uh, Lee Tomlin I was going to go for. And it was only because of Ritchie's wonder goal I went for Ritchie. So I almost had Tomlin. At the moment, I'm a bit worried about L Cook being on the back because am I going <laughs> to see him? But I think I will. I think he's a great player. I just, yeah, I'm a bit disappointed that he's injured, but hopefully get well soon, Lewis. And yeah, the whole British players, English players, I mean, I don't know. I still don't know if... They're going to get picked up for England because we're not a big club, and yeah. Anyway, that frustrates me. But maybe it's best. Maybe it's best for us, seeing as the international players get injured. So maybe it is a good idea that they don't play. Let's be selfish. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Now uh, you said Valencia earlier. You've annoyed another one of our Twitterati who hate you rolling the tongue. Are we just are we just annoying everyone that listens tonight? How can we uh, how can we say something bad about Steve Wright? Um, well, we need to know his T-shirt size, don't we? That's one thing we need to do. Tell you about that later on. But um, Sean, I'm looking forward to this bit now because I was the emergency substitute for this week's Michael's match report. So it actually came from me because Michael was interviewing an AFC Bournemouth superstar. He was, and this was arranged thanks to Pitch Publishing and uh, Neil Bacher, who is uh, at the club, for, been at the club for years and years and years. He's just written a book with Ted, which is called McDougal. Goal. Sorry, Gary. The Ted McDougal <laughs> story. It talks about McDougal's whole, whole career, but obviously there's a big focus there on AFC Bournemouth. So, yeah, we sent uh, our man Michael down after the whole City game for the big interview. The big interview. The big interview. This is the big interview. Ted, welcome to Back of the Net. Thank you. So, you're well known to Bournemouth supporters, particularly since the stand was named in your honour. But for the the benefit of younger listeners, could you start by just giving us a quick summary of your time at Dean Court? Well, I came here initially in 1969, believe it or not, when they put and I was watching, they put me in a, in a bed and breakfast in Boscombe, and I watched the man going on the moon. And th- some people thought it was me. And um, and it was in black and white. And that was my first initial contract with Bournemouth. 
or Boscom. And then uh, they were then third division, and I'd come from the fourth division with a team called York. And I came and um, we ended up getting relegated, which wasn't good. The manager who I really liked, Freddie Cox, he got fired. And then John Bond came in and uh, started to teach me about angles and space and movement and different stuff. And then I, I took it on, and I ended up scoring a lot, you know, a lot of goals, which is what, basically, what I want to do. That's all I ever wanted to do. I didn't really ever want to be involved in the other stuff. I just wanted to score goals. And you scored a lot of goals. I think one season you got forty nine. Yeah, I should do. The record is is sixty by a guy. For younger viewers, if they don't remember me, they won't remember Dixie Dean. <laughs> he was at Everton, he scored 60 goals in a season. And really, in retrospect, looking back on that, I, I, should, I, should, I could have beat that. I could have beat that. And that would have been phenomenal, obviously. Um, but 49, wasn't 49 bad, was goals wasn't too shabby. <laughs> so those deeds have, have rightly become part of our club's folklore. But did you ever dream you'd be held in such high esteem all these decades on with stands named after you and a, and a new biography just out? Uh, no, absolutely not. Um, I always had a wonderful rapport with uh, Bournemouth as a, as, a, as a town and supporters in general, I, I like to think. Um, what happened uh, was that I... They kept calling me back to when the club nearly went under, and I came back, and I played. I played it fifty years of age against Southampton to raise some money, and I came back when they knocked the stand down to be the auctioneer, and they were giving me toilet seats and and signs to try and get five quid or twenty quid or whatever the heck it was, and so to all the supporters, you know. We've and I met a lot today uh, signing the book that have been supporters for 40, 50 years. And you have to know where you came from to know where you're going. And this is a wonderful story. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. And, and we were well thought of as a club uh, and as a team uh, throughout the States. I, I know quite a lot of people in the States and they love their team, whether it be Man United or Chelsea or whatever, usual. But they love Bournemouth, you know, because of the story. And the story epitomises, I think, what the FA Cup is every week. It's it's the giant killer. It's, you know, 11,000 people. And where we've just come from, nowhere... Over, our, over 100 years of history. This is a phenomenal story. It's fantastic. And you've been sharing your story recently, um, getting to the to the new book that's come out, MacDougall, which charts your life and career. You wrote it with Club Secretary Neil Vacher, who was sitting in his office yes. at the moment. Uh, was it a difficult process? Because, obviously, as you said, you live in the States. Oh, Neil yeah. lives and works in Bournemouth. And um, was, it, was it hard to communicate or...? 
Well, I didn't realise, speaking to Neil last week, that it actually started 10 years ago. <laughs> so I think he was actually really waiting for me to snuff it before he, he before he got the final chapter. You know what I mean? So I'm sorry, Neil, um, that I was actually here to see the final chapter. Um, I wasn't ever difficult because Neil, people who know Neil, he's a, he's a wonderful historian. He loves this club. And he's, he, I mean, he worked in the, in this, in the shop, which was only a wood hut. He, he sold mugs and the odd scarf, I think. And that was basically it. Uh, and we just did it. Uh, we just collaborated together and just, he did the, he did the, the history and the, you know the, the 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 uniformity of of where it was and and who we played and when we played it, and then I put some some stories round the particular points that that he was making within the book, you know with, whether it be you know in my time here or whether my time in Manchester United and with Dennis Law and Bobby Charlton and going with Eusebio and playing play I mean I was trying to play with him and Bobby Moore and. Osgood and Shannon at Southampton, which was wonderful. So I played with a lot of great players, and I was very, I felt, I felt very fortunate, you know, because I wasn't, I never professed to be this, that, or the other. I just professed I want to be the best goal scorer. That's when that's why it's called McDougall. <laughs> and uh, what was what was the process? Did I, I assume Neil did the, the majority of the writing? Yes. Yeah, he did the he did the chronological stuff, and I basically start. We needed then to put some kind of meat round the the, the the bones of it, and that's what I tried to do, and just give some insight into how did I feel, what did I do, what were those people like, what were the stories, what was the inside stories, and that's what I tried to do. Yeah, I think your presence in the book and the chapters I've read very prominent. You can really hear the collaboration, not just it's written by Neil and you weren't involved. You definitely yeah. uh, have a, a big role within the actual the pages of the book. Um, you were signing today for the fans before mm. kick-off. What, what's the response to the book been like? God, so it was like... It, I mean, I'm going there. I get there at, like, quarter 11 and so I'm in Neil's office and, OK, we have to go down. And there was a massive big queue. I don't know. I must have been there for an hour and a half. But what was wonderful was... Uh, I could tell stories with these people. Uh, they had a story to tell me about... Of course, they were all like six or seven or eight, and I usually is when I was playing, or ten. They're really old. And um, it was fantastic, you know. And what, you know, what I I try to do is to spend... I, I need to spend the time with them. You know, the time is important with them. And... As you get older, you know you realise that the time spent with people is is precious, and and there's a lot of good people, and you just need to listen to them and talk to them and relate something that they want to speak about, and that's maybe why that's maybe why the the, the lineup was as was as long as it was and it took as long as it did because. You know, I'm, I'm kind of speaking with them, you know, and, you know, having a conversation with them, which I really loved.
And was it a, a mix of ages or more the uh, the old timers who could yeah, remember? Yeah, no, there was a lot, a lot of kind of obviously people in their fifties and above. Uh, there was people that came with their children that, that heard the stories and are probably sick to death of hearing the stories. Um, if we get many more results like six one today, there won't be many more stories. Um, but it's part of the history, and uh, and I think for the young ones to, or oh, is this who the guy is? <laughs> you know, I I think that's I think that's special. Definitely. Um, so yeah, you mentioned the present day. We've both just watched Bournemouth beat Hull six mm. one, mm. thrashed them really. Um, probably mostly you've watched from afar. But what have you made of the Cherries' recent rise through the leagues? I was here, I came over, the before they started the championship, I happened to be over, and I spoke to Eddie at great length, and he said, could you speak to the players? And I came in and I spoke, and they asked me questions and stuff like that, and, and they said, you know, do you have any regrets and stuff? And obviously you've got regrets, you know, but... The biggest regret would be to try would have been to be a better person, you know, and uh, that's important to me now, um, because I had an edge, I w I was a piece of work, I understand that. People say, what would you do if you had all that money? I said, well, I was like an idiot without money. I imagine if, if I had a hundred thousand pound a week, I don't know what I would do. I would, that's probably scary, and I was a character. And I was very strong and I was very domineering to a degree where I knew exactly what I wanted. I wanted to be the best goal scorer in this country. And that's what I, to a, a little period of time, I went, obviously I went through the Manchester United debacle, went through the West Ham debacle, and then came together at Norwich with all the Bournemouth players who went with John Bond. And it was like business as usual, but we're playing in the... At that time, the second division, then we went to the first division of the Premier League, and I was a top goal scorer. Now, that meant a lot to me, because it was about goals. And you can say anything you want about a player, but you can't argue with facts. And facts are goals, if you're a goal scorer, or you let goals in or you don't, and you're a goalkeeper. If you're a full-back or a midfielder, yeah, you... He, he passed 75% or 85%, he did it. Okay, great. It's about gold. And that's why the, the, the title is so profound, because the goals is what the game is all about, and that's what people go to in their in their droves to, to watch goals, to watch excitement, to watch the 18-yard play. And I really, I love this game, and I get excited about it. And I was excited today, and I, this is good. This is good. And how did the players respond when you met them? Were they... I mean, obviously they were pleased to see you, but mm -hmm. were they um, really interested in the, your history with the club? Yeah, I, I think to a degree. I mean, footballers are always into themselves. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's not going to change. Um, why am I here? What am I doing? Why am I listening to this guy? You know, hey, I've done it myself. I understand totally. And I get it. And I remember Matt Ritchie, I remember Matt Ritchie saying, because I was so kind of like, like single-minded, he said, did it, did it change you? I said, yes, it did. 
because I had a single desire. I, I didn't really want, I wasn't bothered about you. It wasn't a team thing for me. This was something that I was on a mission. And I don't know, looking at Callum today and playing up front, I don't know whether I could have done that because obviously Phil Boyer did all the running and all the work and I took all the glory. So it was perfect, really. You know? So unless I had a Phil Boyer, it would have been maybe difficult for me to play. But I could score, I could score goals. But I wasn't, I never professed to be a, pl- a good player, a great player. Well, you're obviously still very fondly remembered in these parts. Um, it's been great to speak to you today, Ted, but just before we wrap up, do you want to let people know where they can get your book? Well, I get it in the, in the club shop. I believe it's going to, it's on Amazon, uh, and I believe it's going to be in, what's the name of that store? Is it Witherspoon? What's it Waterstones. Witherspoons is the pub. Oh, <laughs> maybe you can get in there too. Uh, Waterstones, I believe. So I, I really, uh, Neil probably knows more about where it's going to be, 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 um, on sale and then we go to Southampton tomorrow and hopefully we get you know some people that I, re- I remember and, and tell stories and then I go to Norwich on next Saturday so it'll be a good week and I've got to do talk radio probably f- next Friday um, and then I think they're trying to do something with Sky so it'll be a good week it'll be, it's, it's been great and people are always fantastic with me so when I I, I and I don't take it for granted, but I do appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Ted. And I really enjoyed speaking to you this afternoon. I wasn't, unfortunately, old enough to see you play. I wouldn't say unfortunately. <laughs> I'd be happy with that. I'd take that. But, obviously, I'm well aware of your uh, your exploits around the club over the years. And, um, well, it's nice to see you over here. And hopefully we'll see you at Dean Court again in the near future. Thanks so much, Ted. You're welcome. This is Steve Jones and you're listening to Back of the Net. Thank you very much to Michael for that interview. And of course, a massive thank you to Neil Vacher for organising that for us. But also to Ted Mack himself, the legend. It was so good to hear the stories from the past. And uh, with Michael, it's almost like he's done this podcast of malarkey before. Great interview. But in the chat with Ted, he referenced the book. And Sean and I, over the past week, have been reading it on our Kindles. And Sean, there were a few stories that you found interesting, weren't there? Yeah, it's a really good read. It's just one which was interesting, just shows kind of, how with the meteoric rise of Bournemouth as we know them now, you know, that has happened a bit before in the, you know, in the early 70s when Ted was banging in the goals. I think it was the 71, they said. In, within a 12-month period, season ticket sales trebled. Largely, wow. in fact, to Ted's goals. So it just shows you, you know, we did, well, we did used to get massive attendances back in the day. But there was another great story, which was about the Margate game, the classic nine goals where at half-time, Ted's already bagged four, and the Margate boss, Les Riggs, he went up to John Bond and jokingly said, take McDougall off, will you? <laughs> <laughs> so that's some performance, but it's a really great book. So the book is called McDougall, good punnage, The Ted McDougall Story, written by Neil Vacher and Ted McDougall. And we've got to thank pitch publishing for giving us a copy to have a read and as we alluded to earlier we have two copies of the book to give away now if you're not successful in the competition where can you get the book you can go down to the stadium to the club superstore it is available
available there. It's priced at £18.99. Or you can go on to the AFCB online superstore as well. So they've now got it on the online Bournemouth shop. Otherwise, you can go to Amazon.co.uk. The book's there where you can buy the hardcover. Or you can buy the Kindle edition that we've got because we're so high tech. Um, So, yeah, you can pick up a copy of the book. But here we go. Competition time. Fingers on the buzzers. Oh, I always press it too early. (laughs) No, you don't have to answer a question. All we need you to do is, here we go, head to afcbpodcast.com forward slash Ted Mac. That's forward slash Ted Mac. T-E-D-M-A-C, or just go to our website and you'll see a link on the homepage. And just enter, we're just going to do a prize draw for it. So you just enter your details, your name, tell us where you live, so if you win, we can post the book out, and your email address, and you are in the draw to win one of two copies of McDougal, the Ted McDougal story. So get in now, enter that, and win yourself a fantastic book. Thanks to Pitch Publishing. Superb. And the giveaways don't stop there. As with thanks to EA Sports, next week we will be giving away a copy of the brand new FIFA 17 game for the PlayStation 4. But before that, we thought we'd tell you a little bit more about the game. And to do so, Sean, oh, no, not on webcam, Sean. Oh, I'm going to have to put my hand over this screen. Um, Sean's going to get into his favourite position. He's got his undies on. He's got his favourite blankie. He's got his PS controller in his hand. Sean, are you ready to tell us about the game? Great. Let's go. So thanks to EA Sports, we are doing a review today of the latest FIFA computer game. It's FIFA 17 on the PlayStation 4, uh, also available on other platforms. Um, I've actually always been a bit of a gamer over the years. Used to be uh, international superstar soccer and then pro evolution soccer. And I remember back in the day with FIFA, it was always about, oh, I just spent the money on making Wayne Rooney's hairs on his legs look correct and less about the gameplay but over the last however many years FIFA now as far as I'm concerned dominate the uh, football gaming world and I'm one of those people that every year waits for the new version Um, especially from last year with our boys AFC Bournemouth actually properly featuring and Dean Court being in the game and this year Eddie Howe is even in the game so I'm going to play a bit of it and let you know what I think here we go. So I'm just loading up now. Always love that uh, EA Sports. It's in the game. Okay, so a bit of funky dance music to get us going. Oh, there's a video there. So we're going to go to play. Now, they've got the feature uh, here on the kickoff, which is you can play the next game of your selected favourite team. So... Here we go, AFC Bournemouth versus Tottenham Hotspur. And every week on the show, I'm going to be basing my predictions on having played the two teams. And whatever the result is, that will be my prediction. Other than the, obviously, wildcard goal fest, which I pulled out for the whole city game and was correct. So I get that in the bank so I can use that again. 
So Bournemouth are rated attack uh, 77, midfield 74, defence 70. Ooh, a bit harsh maybe on our back four and goalkeeper. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur this week are rated 84, 81 and 83. So they reckon they're a bit better than us, which, uh, yeah, they might be right. Okay, so kit selection. You've got all three kits, the beautiful red and black, that awesome blue away, and even the fluoro third one. I'm still not convinced about that, but we're at, we're at home, so it's going to be the red and black. Spurs, they're going to line up in their traditional white. Let's see, here we go. Let's see what happens when AFC Bournemouth take on. Tottenham Hotspur. Number two, Simon Francis. Number three, Steve Cook. Number 11, Charlie... Okay, so um, first impressions of the visuals are pretty impressive. So Dean Court is properly in the game for the second year running. Now we're a Premier League side and it just looks really great. They've even got oh, they've got the old photos inside the, the inside the stands, but still they've got those pictures in there and big shot of the North Stand now. And no, couldn't see the guy that wears all the scarves. But oh, was that Gary Chapman and his crazy trousers? But not too sure. But it, it really does look great. The attention to detail of the spacings of the stands and all that stuff around, which does make you know it makes the game a bit extra special, really. Of course, all that matters now is how are we going to get on against Spurs. So I play the game very much in the Eddie Howe style. So I like to keep the ball, knock it around, look for the space. Um, probably don't shoot as often as I should. Here we go. Good, promising start. Oh, great one, too. Daniels forward now. Can he get across in? He can. Blocked corner. Oh, four minutes gone. Front of the north stand. Corner. There's Eddie Howe in the game this year, properly scanned, so that's good to see Eddie there. No JT next to him, but I believe that was something to do with him being unhappy with the uh, tan shade they picked, and he didn't want to be too pasty, so refused to be in the game, allegedly. Cross comes in. Oh, I think that was Steve Cook with the header. Just wide. Early warning sign there for Spurs. Ooh. Maybe should have done a little bit better. Oh, Eddie thought it was in. Oh, That's a fine header, but wide of the post. Yeah, unlucky. The keeper, you know, he wasn't going to get there. And he'll have to go back to the training ground to improve that uh, part of his game. I almost think he thought he'd scored before the ball actually came for him. He was too casual. Bit of pressure here from Spurs. Another corner about to come in. It's jostling in the box. Ooh, watch the hands. Oh, no, it's a header and it's a goal for Spurs. Steli Alley. Oh. 1-0 Spurs after Bournemouth really have been the better team, I'd say. Oh, he just couldn't square it back. It's half-time. So the last couple of years, FIFA, they've kind of changed away from that standard kind of just sprint and tap the buttons and run as fast as you can and beat the players. And it's a lot more, um, the players are a lot more intelligent, So when you're, especially when you're playing against the computer. So you generally have to try and keep the ball a little bit more and wait for an opening because defenders kind of get wise to the type of striker and the runs that they make and that kind of stuff. So um, I actually really like that because I prefer it to be a bit more realistic. I'm not quite into that more arcade style of game where you just run, 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 you know, and shoot. Um, so it's a lot more true to life, really. Oh, 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 oh. 
Oh dear, true to life. Hopefully not. Spurs have gone two up at the start of the second half. Oh, Harry Kane apparently back from injury quicker than we thought. Celebrating with Pochettino. Oh, it's 3-0 now. Oh, front of the north stand. Oh, free kick here. One needs to the box. Stanislas, much like the position for Hull, actually. See what you can do here. Down it's the wall. back, and it's in. Oh, it's in. It's a goal. Get in. Go and get the ball, quick. Where's the ball? Get the ball. Get the ball. Get the ball. No, there's the ball. Oh, awful celebration. Oh, I potentially true to form. Just kept the ball a little bit too long there. Three minutes from the referee via the fourth official. That's the decision regarding added time. Oh, that's a sensational ball. Looking to play his teammate through. He's got his shot off now. It's an important goal. Oh, it's it? another goal. Get in. Oh, great counter-attack. Oh, Wilson pokes it away from Ibe. 3-2. Too little, too late, probably. So that's what I like about this game. There is a real sense of realism. Like when you're the teams coming back, oh, we've lost the game, but at least we had a bit of a go at the end. So what's my thoughts on the game? So I've played FIFA for a lot of years. I think the last two years, the game has been a way more advanced. Um, the way now, it's a lot more tactical. It's about building up and waiting for the right movement and catching a defender off guard. So it's... Um, it's not as automated as probably it used to be. Defenders do different things now, depending on the situation. And um, I really love that realism. Aside from the fact it looks great, and obviously with Bournemouth in it, it's just made this game even more interesting because there's more of a personal feeling now because you've got the ground as we know it and the players as we know it. The other new cool introduction this year is the single-player mode called The Journey, which you may have seen adverts about. Um, it uses the Frostbite uh, system, which is behind games like Battlefield, and um, it's really cool. So it's taken the old Beer Pro, which is the single-player, just-be-one-player type part of the FIFA game, and you are this, start off as a 17-year-old kid called Alex Hunter, and you can pick which Premier League team he supports. Obviously, he was Bournemouth. And the backstory is he's a 17-year-old lad in London growing up. His dad was a footballer but had got injured early. His granddad was a famous player for Bournemouth in this case. And you have to do trainings and you have to achieve milestones that help you progress as a footballer at Bournemouth. And there are lots of cinematic scenes where you have to... How you respond, whether you're fiery or whether you're cool, affects decisions of the game. Um, I had a bit of a play around with that. Uh, I got loaned out to Newcastle because I wasn't making the first team. I've just started scoring goals there. And then I'll hopefully I'll go back to Bournemouth. And if you come on as a sub, you'll get things like... Eddie will tell his assistant that you know he wants me to make an assist in this game or whatever. And I'm really loving that because if you're not an online player with FIFA and you just like playing against the computer, sometimes you're like, oh, yeah, I'm getting a bit tired of the same old. But having this has brought a brand new dimension to the game. And again, I think it's an absolute welcome addition. And I'm really interested to see how that will progress over the years. But yeah, overall gets big thumbs up from me here at back of the net 
Um, recommend you go out and get it, whether it's on PlayStation or whether it's on Xbox or PC. Um, really worth it, especially um, yeah, the little touches like Eddie being in the game and stuff just adds a little extra element, doesn't it? But ultimately, I need to go and practice a lot more and get a lot better. So Spurs 3, Bournemouth 2, final result. But the real winner here is FIFA 17. FIFA 17, eh? Sounds like you had a lot of fun there, Sean. And uh, yeah, Jason Tindall not being in it. I think I think you could be right about, well, you, you remember the Man United match at the end of the last season. All the Cherries fans were singing, he's got a great tan. Maybe he was, just wasn't sure and they just thought, no, screw it. He's taken too long to decide his <laughs> bronzeness. <laughs> yeah, allegedly. But yeah, no, it's actually, it's a lot of fun to play. Oops, sorry, I'm just putting my uh, trousers back on now, my shirt, there we go, getting out of FIFA mode. Yeah, it was a great fun to play. And if any listeners out there, well, I know there are at least one or two that are fellow FIFA PlayStation 4 players, if you want to take me on online, Salvatore81, that's my username, had it since I was young. Yeah, Salvatore81, track me down online. I want to take you down, take you down to Chinatown. Now, if you've got a PlayStation 4 and you think, I want a bit of that action, listen to next week's episode of Back of the Net because that is when we will be running the competition giveaway to win a copy of FIFA 17 for the PlayStation 4. Amazing stuff. Well, Cherries are in action on Saturday. It's going to be a lunchtime kickoff and it's live on Sky Sports. We're playing Spurs and Spurs are in Champions League action. Now we're recording this, of course, on Tuesday night. So they've already played. They drew nil-nil with Bayer Leverkusen at uh, Leverkusen. Now Spurs goalkeeper Hugo Lloris apparently made a string of great saves to secure that draw. So it sounds like they were lucky to get a draw. Um, in terms of the Cherries team lineup, uh, we ran a poll, as we said, because we think the only contentious issue at this point is surely who's going to play Jordan Ibe and Josh King. It's a debate that's been raging over Twitter. And Sam Summers, he said neck and neck can make a case for either. For me, King starts, but I understand the case for Ibe too, with King coming on for the killer blow. Tony Maycock, the game is about goals. King has been involved with two goals in his first action in the last two games and set up Wilson too. What did Jordan Ibe do? Jamie Williams, the game isn't just about goals. It's about numerous factors which contribute to them. But King has a better end product. And then Dave Andrews piped up with the fact that he would like to see them both start. They would, stroke should, be lethal, but don't know who to drop. It's... It's really interesting. And of course, Ross from Florida got involved as well. He said it depends on the opponent. Lumbering fullback, start Ibe. Quick and an agile fullback, start King. It wouldn't shock me to see King start against Spurs. So that's one of the talking points. So we asked on Twitter in general, who would you like to see start? And I was amazed how close this was. Um, we got yeah hundreds of votes coming in and... It was really close. It was almost like Brexit, you know. The vote changed in the middle of the night, and then I woke up in the morning, and it's like, oh, it's all, it's all different now. Jordan and I was leading the way, but as it happened, 
when the vote closed about an hour ago, Josh King got 52% and Jordan Ibe 48%, Sean. Wow. Well, I think the fact it was so close shows that, yeah, it it really is a very close decision. For me, um, I think Ibe is still getting better. And for me, I would stick with him for that reason, that... I don't think he's playing poorly. I think there are still some elements of his game which could improve, but I think they are starting to improve. I think he's starting to, one, play to our shape, which I think he was a bit of a lone wolf to start with, but he's bringing something different. Like, we've always had our wingers tucking in, but not to the extent as much, I don't think, as much as we see I. But like, so when we had Pugh and Ritchie, we would see them cut in, but generally that would be so that a fullback could overlap and then that gives the space to the fullback. What I see from Ibe is that Ibe will go all the way across to the right-hand side, but then we'll pick up the ball and we'll try and make something happen, which I think is causing a lot of problems for the opposition shape in terms of, well, who do you pick up? A case in point of that was, was the chance where um, Wilson almost scored, where there was the link-up where it went to Daniels yes. and then Ibe had cut inside. The fullback came to Daniels. Ibe makes that run back down the line. The ball's played in, played across, beautiful. So as as far as I see it, I think there is a strong case for Ibe to continue as he is getting better. Having said that, yes, every time King comes on, it's it's at a good time of the game. He's a good player to bring on at that time because, man, he is so quick. And if I was a fullback that's been terrorised all game and then I look up with 30 minutes to go and I'm, oh, God, I make, oh, good, he's coming off. <laughs> oh, Joshua King's coming on. <laughs> yeah. So uh, last season, of course, we tended to capitulate against the big sides. Now, this season... We played Everton at home. We beat them. Would you say Everton are a big side? Um, you know, because we're playing Spurs last season, they demolished us. Do you think we are starting to get over that? I would say fear factor. Well, I don't think we did against Man United. I was as kind of comfortable and composed as we kind of felt for 38 minutes or whatever it was of that first half. I still felt there was that little bit of we're playing Man United. And I think that's the big step up for us now as we look to improve. Last year, when we played Man City, we got pumped. When we played Arsenal both times, we got pumped. When we played Tottenham, we got pumped both times. And, you know, Chelsea, I mean, when we no disrespect to the results we got against Chelsea and Man United, but... Chelsea were their possibly their lowest patch when we played them. The Man United side that we beat at home obviously was not what we would class as a classic Man United team. And I do not want to take away from what we achieve, but can we start competing against these top clubs? I think you're right. That is the next question for us. Going into this game against Spurs, I do feel a little bit different to how we used to look at it when we would play these sides in that we are coming into it in good form. I think we are a lot more confident now. And do you know what? I'm actually just really looking forward to this game of football because for me the fear factor isn't quite there I still think it's going to be a struggle and I know my prediction is based on a computer game of a (laughs) 3-2 defeat but I could see that kind of result where it's kind of close and we're kind of in there and we might be in it but ultimately I do think we might come short and that's 
more credit to Spurs than as a discredit to us. But yeah, I think ultimately, can we start competing with these sides at the top and at least keeping it close or maybe snatching more points or whatever else, I think will define when we're ready to elevate to that next position in the Premier League. Mm, yeah, really interesting. Well, my prediction for the game, um, it, yeah, I mean, I would like to think that if we start well, as we did against Hull, for instance, we can continue. But then remember last season, we started well against Spurs. Matt Ritchie scored within about 60 seconds or something like that. Um, and that didn't pan out well. Uh, as long as it's this kind of like psychological barrier is overcome, then we got, you know, we got a chance. So uh, who knows? Who knows? It's... um. I would still class it as a as a free hit, so to speak. But I'm optimistic that we can get something out of it. A win perhaps is a bit too far. Um, but I think in front of the Sky cameras, we'll put on a good show. And I think it will be two all. Oh, OK. Well, that's pretty close. Yep. Yeah. I guess in terms of the, the rest of the team, barring any injuries, we've got that slight doubt over Harry Arter. So we're not sure whether Harry Arter will be fit as we talked about in club news, as it was picked up, I think on the daily echo, he did leave the game on crutches. So if he's out, is that an opportunity for King to come in? And then does mm. Wilshire drop in with sermon? And then do we have um, possibly King sat behind Wilson? Ooh. Do we have Stanislas <laughs> sat behind? And maybe then this poll was redundant because we're just going to pick all of them. <laughs> or maybe Eddie will look at the poll and go, do you know what? I think they both need to play. Who We'll wait and see. For Spurs, um, I was reading that there actually is a chance now that Harry Kane could be in contention. Uh, apparently, he has been doing some training this week, so it might still be a little bit early for for the Harry Kane to be back, but possibly he could be making an appearance. But again, I think they've got enough weapons for us to worry about without worrying too much about whether Harry Kane is there or thereabouts. But overall, I think it's going to be a cracking game of football. Uh-oh, I can sign it to a dull nil-nil. No, we haven't got Jose Mourinho managing us. So come on, Cherries, let's see how we go this weekend versus Spurs. Hi, this is Gary Chapman, the bloke who stands in the back of the North Stands shouting up the cherries. You're listening to Back of the Net. So we promised a hull of a show and we hope that we delivered and we'll keep it rolling throughout the week. Now, when I say rolling, Sean, I've managed to track Frank rolling down in seven days time for the next show. I swear to you, I'm going to make sure we've got this little audio clip. I'm going to be checking the back of the net credit card for all these flights to France just to get a 30 second Frank rolling. But uh, what a quest. Good luck, sir. Good luck. And I'll be uh, telling you how I managed to track him down on next week's show. So this week we've brought you previews, reviews, interviews, news, giveaways. It's been a bumper edition of Back of the Net. Now, remember to subscribe to the podcast and follow and like us on social media. Sean, what are the social media links? Oh, Sam, thanks for asking. On Facebook, you can go to facebook.com forward slash AFCB podcast. If you are part of the Twitterati, then we are at AFCB podcast. So nice and easy to keep in contact with us. We also have little sneaky bits of info during the week that we post on there. And of course, head to our website, AFCBpodcast.com. And that is where you can enter the competition this week, the prize draw. We've got a couple of copies of McDougal, the Ted McDougal story, thanks to Pitch Publishing. So head to AFCBpodcast.com forward slash Ted Mac. 
Don't forget, next week we'll have another action-packed show where we'll be giving away FIFA 17 for the PS4. Plus, we will be launching the new poll to have a say on the next retro AFCB shirt that could be appearing in the club shop. And whilst we're at it, we're going to be speaking to Cherry's Match Day programme writer, Gareth Davies, the man who can help us make it happen. I'm very excited about that. Go dodgy purple away shirt. Go dodgy purple away shirt. <laughs> Sorry, we're completely impartial here at Back of the Net. Go dodgy purple away shirt. We'll be back <laughs> next week for more fun and frolics and hopefully... Roll- oh, no, not rollics. Rollings. Oh, so close <laughs> for a hat trick. Thank you very much. This has been Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.